17. John chapter 17, and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 19. So we started here last week, and we mentioned that in John chapter 17 that uh, John uh, records probably one of the most uh, uh, thrilling or unusual passages uh, in the Bible, and that is an actual prayer of Jesus. If you remember, we talked about the Bible. If you go read the Gospels over and over again, it says Jesus withdrew to pray. Jesus withdrew to pray. Everybody, you've seen that all the time. But it really never tells us what He prayed about. And so we never have any documentation of what Jesus was actually praying. But for one time, and one time only in John 17, the veil is kind of drawn back and we actually get for the whole chapter, we get to hear these are the actual words of Jesus in one of His prayers praying to the Father. This is a very special chapter and of course something we should pay uh, attention to. Now, the chapter itself can be divided up into three uh, parts or three phases. In the first part, which is verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for Himself. Uh, And then in the second part, verses 6 through 19, He prays for the disciples, the actual 11 uh, disciples that were there at the time. And then in verses 20 through 26, He actually prays for you and me. He says, I'm going to pray. I don't pray just for these, but I'm praying for the ones that are to believe through their their name. Now, last week we covered verses 1 through 5 and actually kind of got a start into verses 6 through 19. Uh, But today we're actually going to look at that in a little more detail, how Jesus prays. Uh, for the uh, for the disciples, so let's. This is some of this is a little bit of review, uh, but we'll start in verse six. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this. He says, "I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me." And last week we talked about uh, those three words that Jesus says: "Yours they were, and you gave them." to me and we of course we you know you want to know what does that mean yours they were and of course we referred back to Ephesians 1 4 through 6 where the apostle Paul says that God himself chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the blood. So the fact is, if you look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that God chose us to be Christians, chose us to be adopted into His family. When? Before the world began. I mean, that is an unbelievable statement right there. Um, and I want, you to, I want you to see this too, and we're going to get to this in a minute. It says He chose us, and He chose us to be what? Holy and blameless. Now keep, just. I want you to understand what He chose us to be. Chose us to be sons of God, chose us to be adopted, chose us to be in Christ, and He chose us to be holy and blameless. And if you ask me, why did He do it? Anybody see there why He did it? Huh? He loves us. What else? Huh? To the praise of His glorious what? Grace. Grace means unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. He did it so that His grace would get all the praise. Not you. 
Not you. Oh, she's a good woman. Oh, he's a good man. No, that's not why he did it. He did it so that he would get all the glory. That's why he did it. And by the way, and, and, and it says according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to. It's his will. He wanted to. You know? I mean, it's just that, that scripture right there, you could just, if we didn't study nothing else, we could study that for just, just weeks and weeks on, on the end. But that's what Jesus is saying. Yours they were. You chose these 11 men before the foundation of the world. They were yours, and now you've given them to, to me. Now, this is, of course, a staggering thing that the Father chose me, that He chose you before the world began to give the Son as an expression of His love. That's true of every single Christian. Every Christian is that love gift from the Father to the Son. It's, it's received by the Son, kept by the Son, and raised by the Son to glory. Now Jesus goes on. Let's read the, the next two verses. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, they have received them, and they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So what happens is, you know, Jesus, God, God the Father chose these 11 men before the foundation of the world to give to Jesus as love gifts. And all this time goes by, and these, all these men are born. And they go on their own way. Some of them are tax collectors. Some of them are, are fishermen. Some of them are, are zealots. They're all living their lives. And one day, Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they follow him. And so at this point, they've been given to uh, Jesus. And what do they do? They believe. They put their faith in him. They believe that he really is who he says he is. And, they, and then it was, notice what it says, they have kept your word. You see, we said this last week, the mark of a true Christian, the mark of one who has been given to the Son by the Father, it's always belief and obedience. It's belief and obedience. It's not perfection, by the way. Anybody got a problem with that? No, it's not perfection. It's belief and obedience. It's the practice of... Of your of and the direction of your life. Now Jesus goes to verse nine. Now we talked about this a little bit last week, and there was a little bit of consternation on people's minds, and so or in their faces. So I want to cover this again. Jesus says this: I am praying for them. Who's he praying for? Disciples, Disciples the ones that's been given to him. I am not praying for the world. That's what he says: I am not praying for the world. I'm only praying for those you have given me. Why? Because they are yours. They belong to you. So, again, who is Jesus praying for? He tells us. He's praying for believers. He's praying for disciples. He's not praying for those who are not believers. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for the ones that the Father gave him. Now, we understand that God pleads with all sinners to Repent. We understand as Christians that the offer of salvation, the gospel, is open to everybody. Um, that's clearly taught in scriptures. John three sixteen says, "God loves the, so loved the world, He gave His Son that what whoever it's 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 completely open to anybody that wants to come uh, can come." But then we ask this question: Does Jesus pray, or does He ask the Father for the salvation of everyone? No. 
No, he doesn't. In fact, that answer was pretty clear. By the way, there's a couple reasons that the answer to that is no. First of all, there's this nice theological reason. um, Because we know, by the way, that Jesus always prays in perfect accordance with the Father's will. Does he not? Put it this way. Would Jesus ever ask the Father for anything and not get it? No. No. No, there's a couple reasons for that. Because he's completely in line. He and the Father are one. Are they not? He said that over and over. There, he's, he's, there's no sin in him. He would never ask anything amiss. By the way, do you think he has perfect faith? Perfect belief in the Father? Of course he does. He said himself, if you just say to that mountain, be moved into the sea, and you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, what will happen? It will be done. Let me tell you, Jesus has perfect trust and perfect belief and perfect faith in the Father. Because he knows him. Their, their wills are, are perfectly in accordance with one another. Jesus would never ask the Father for anything and not get it. When Jesus asks, he gets it, right? So the, theologically, he, we know that he would only pray according to the Father's will. But the Father's will is to save those that he chose before the foundation of the world. All right. Everybody with me? Okay, so that's the theological stand, reason for that. But at the same time, didn't he just answer that question in today's passage? He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you have given me. And why am I doing that? Because they belong to you. Okay, so he, he prays for the elect. He prays for the, for, the, for the chosen. Now, I actually, I didn't ask this last week, but I went and looked. Is there an illustration anywhere in the Bible where Jesus prays for an unbeliever? On the cross, I say that's exactly the only one I could find is this one. On the cross, he said, "Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing." That's the only illustration I can find. Now, again, I'm letting you know there may be there may be another if you can find it. It's the only one I could find. And by the way, even here, he's not asking for their salvation, is he? He's asking for the forgiveness of this one thing. And, I, and I, by the way, and this is probably more about him than it is about them, right? It's just showing who he is. That he could endure all that uh, shame, all that humiliation, all that torture, and then turn around and say, Lord, forgive him. Father, forgive him. So that's really probably more about him than, than anything else. And again, this is not to say that Jesus doesn't care about the unsaved. We can never say that. Of course he does. By the way, I was unsaved at one point, and he cared about me. The Bible says he gave his life for the sins of the world. Of course he cares. It's not that he doesn't care, but what I'm telling you is according to the Bible, he prays for believers. He does not pray for unbelievers. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him, and he lives forever to intercede with God on whose behalf? There. And who, is, who are they? Those that come to God through Him. He's praying for believers forever, it says. He intercedes for believers. He does not intercede for unbelievers. The fact is, if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, God is not concerned at all with blessing you, and Christ does not intercede on your behalf. Okay, He intercedes only for those that are, that are His. That's why He says, I don't pray for them. They don't belong to the Father. They're not objects of the Father's blessing. Why would I, why would I pray for unbelievers? Um, this may be a dumb question, but is that why as believers we're asked to pray for those who are in a 
Well, yeah. Well, I think he says pray for those, for example, he tells us all the time, pray for those who despitefully use you, right? We should pray for their salvation. I believe that. How many of here pray for people that are not saved? You better be, right? Of course we should do that. But Christ Himself only prays for believers. Now again, when you ask me, when we have to answer a question, where do we go to answer? We go to the Bible. I said it before. It may not be what we want to hear, but but everything in the Bible says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for believers. But the fact is, we don't know who we don't know who they are. That's exactly right. Again, again, keep in mind, exactly. He is in perfect accordance with the Father's will. Are we? No. We don't know his thoughts. We don't know, is that one a believe, going to be a believer? Is that? No, we don't know. So we pray. We ask. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your friends and your families and your co-workers. Okay? I mean, Pray. That's what we are supposed to do. But we, because that runs exactly right, we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't know. Okay? All right, let's move on. So again, he intercedes directly only for those whom the Father has designed to give him. And again, this is a staggering reality because what causes me to be part of that group? Nothing in me, is it? Nothing in me. He did that because of his grace, because of his his love. I make no contribution to it. In fact, look at the next verse. He goes on to say, he says, I don't pray for the world. I'm only praying for the ones you've given me. And oh yeah, by the way, Father, all mine are yours and all yours are mine. Right? There's a couple things he goes on here. We can see a couple other reasons that we see that Jesus is praying for us. First of all, he's praying for us because we now belong to who? Him. Not just the Father. The Father has given us to Him. And so He says, now I'm praying for them because they belong to me. Okay? It's, um, you know, in ourselves, I hope we realize that we're not that valuable. But because we've been given to Christ as an expression of the Father's love, we are priceless to Him. I was thinking about this, this when I was putting this down. You know how sometimes at Christmas you can get a lot of stuff, Right? Especially as a kid. When we're older, we don't want to get anything anymore, but that's okay. But when you're a kid, you can get a lot of stuff. And, and But go back. Which gifts mean the most to you? Forget kids for a minute because they just want everything, right? They're just on to the next. But as, a, as an adult, as a, what, what gifts mean the most to you? Huh? I can't hear. Homemade. Okay. So why... Something your children got. So homemade, why would a homemade gift mean something more? Uh, That ain't the answer I'm looking for. Okay. I I think that, you know, I think it goes back to this. Isn't, Isn't what you value the most valued on the basis of the love that you have for the individual that gave it to you? Right? Every parent realizes this. When you're young, when you're a parent, your kids are little, sometimes they'll go buy you something or even make you something, and you can't even figure out, well, what am I going to do with this? Where am I going to hang it, right? I mean, because it's like useless, but at the same time, you wouldn't trade it for anything, right? It's valuable to you, not because it has any intrinsic value. It's valuable because of that child that gave it to you. So it's the person that gave it to you. How much, uh, how much did they put into it? That's, somebody said that. How much of themselves went into it makes it valuable. Um, you know, of all the things you look back on, 
those types of things are the most priceless treasure because they're expressions of love, right? Well, so again, the gift is valued based on how much you love the giver. Now you know why Jesus loves you. He loves you because you're a gift from the one that he loves infinitely. He loves the Father, and the Father says, here, here's my gift. What is Jesus going to do with that gift? He sees that gift as priceless, just like you would a gift from someone that you love. The Father has put everything. He chose this gift for Jesus before the world began, and he gives it to him, and Jesus is like, man, this, this, is, this is just infinitely valuable. I'm not valuable, but he sees me as valuable because I'm a gift from the Father. Um, so it's not because of your own intrinsic value, but because you were given to him by the Father, and he loves the Father infinitely. That's where your value lies. For you and I... We represent to Christ the love of the Father because we're the Father's gift to Him. Because of that, He values us and He loves us. He goes on to say this, All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He asks the Father to bless us and He prays for us because He will be glorified in us. Listen, Jesus is about to go back to the Father, right? He came to this earth and for three years He healed and walked and taught and expressed love and He did all the things that, could go, that he could get glory from. But he's gone, right? He's back at the Father. How's he going to be glorified now? If Jesus is going to be glorified, how's he going to be glorified? Mm-hmm. Through you and me. Nobody's going to, they can't see him. They see him through what? Through our lives, through the way we walk, through the way we talk, through the way we express our, ourselves. See, he's no longer here. So when he gains glory... When men give Christ glory, it can only be because they've seen his beauty through the life of one of his own. And that's the only way they have to discern him or know him, and that is for him to be manifested through his followers, which are you and me. So he's praying for his disciples. Now, we're about to see what he's going to ask for. So he says, these are the ones I'm praying for. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the ones you gave me, your love gifts to me. And they are infinitely valuable to me. Now, I want you to see, he's about to go through and say, this is what I'm asking you to do, Father. But the first thing, before I, see, I show you what he's asking for, I want you to see what he does not ask for. And he specifically points this out. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Now, now that's, that's pretty amazing to me. He goes out of his way to say, I'm not, this is what I'm not asking for. By the way, do you know why he, why he says this out loud? Number one, so they could hear it. The devil. No, not the devil. Number one, so they hear it, right? And number one, so we read it a couple thousand years later. He wants us to know, I'm praying for them, and this is not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to take them out of the, of the world. See, he never prays for his disciples or for you and I to be removed from the world. He never prays that we find an escape from trouble or suffering. He never asks for that, okay? The kind of Christianity which buries itself in a monastery or goes off to a convent and separates itself from the world, Jesus ne- that's, that's a Christianity that Jesus does not recognize. He never says separate yourself in that way. Go out of the world, out of the culture. He, he never asked for that. Okay? And he specifically says it. That's not the kind of Christianity I'm, I'm talking about. The person who says they don't need to go to church, 
We've, we've run across these from time to time. I don't need to go to church. I just stay home. You know, I listen to whoever on the radio or I watch them on TV. I read my own Bible. I don't really need to go to church. That person is not an answer to Jesus' prayers. That is not the Christianity. That person has removed themselves. That's, that's, that's not what he's praying for at all. By the way, that, that life may be less complicated, right? But it's not the life that Jesus was praying for. Now, I understand people get sick and there's, there's reasons people can't go to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who just, they, they just don't want to involve themselves with other people. And they've pulled away, they've pulled back. That's not what Jesus is praying for at all. See, you and I are never offered an easy peace. Jesus never prays for that. We are to walk through the world along with everyone else. We are to encounter the same troubles, the same trials, the same tribulations as everyone else. But in those trials and troubles and tribulations, we are to be a witness for the risen Savior. He says, I'm not praying that you get out of all that stuff. I'm praying that you walk through it, and as you walk through it, you glorify me. That's what he's praying for. So I'm not, don't, he's not praying that you're, so we're not to abandon the world. We are to, to win the world. Now, Let's see what he prays for. He's going to pray for, I can't remember, three or four things. We'll see here in just a second. I think it was four. First of all, he prays for unity. Let's read verses 11 through 12. He says, I am no longer in the world. In other words, I'm about to go back to the Father. I won't be here anymore. But they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, this is a really interesting scripture right here, a really interesting thing that he asked. Um, notice the words that I underline. He says, three times he says, you keep them, I, uh, I kept them, and I guarded them. Right. So Jesus says, while I had them, while I walked with them, I kept them. I guarded them. But now, I'm not going to be here anymore. So who's it up to? He says, Father, it's up to you. You guard them. You keep them. You do what I did. Okay. Now, first he kind of lays out the problem, as I said. He said, I'm not going to be here anymore, Father, but they're in the world and I'm coming to you. So you need to keep them. So he's not going to be with them anymore. They'll be without his physical presence. So now it's up to the Father to do what he had been doing for the last three years. So he prays for their unity. However, there's something really interesting that it's important to note, and that is the source of their unity. Now watch what he says. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, so that for the purpose of that they may be one even as we are one. Now, right there, right there at the top, he gives them the source of their, of their unity. So he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name so that they'll be unified. So what do you think he means by that? Holy Father, keep them in your name so that they'll be one even as we are one. What do you think he means by that? Somebody got to come up with something or we're not moving. Now. <laughs> their, their identification is in hell. That's, that's unifying factor is their identification of him, not just that they can get along with each other. Okay. Okay. Yeah, by the way, there's a, and I always keep that in mind, there's a, you can be unified, you can always find unity if you throw out everything you believe. 
right? You can be unified with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims. You just got to put aside everything. You got to compromise all your values. We can walk in unity, can we not? There are people all over the world trying to do that today. That's never the unity of the Bible, right? That's not that unity of the Bible is something else completely different. Um, so what he's saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name so that they'll be unified. All right. There's a really interesting, there's a couple really interesting things here. The first one is the expression Holy Father. Because if, you, if you've been studying John with me up till now, he's never used that before. He says Father, Father, Father. But here he specifically says Holy Father. Um, now, it, it's an odd expression because the holiness of God is really something that's a great emphasis in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, um, the, the New Testament tends to, to emphasize other things such as the love of God, the mercy of God, the, the, the fatherhood of God, the justice of God. But here, Jesus specifically, and by the way, as far as I know, this is definitely the only time Jesus ever uses that term. And I think it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. So here he is praying, and he's praying for our unity, and he specifically says, Holy Father. Okay? Now, the other thing that's really interesting is the word keep. Now, this, this really kind of blew me away. If you go look at that word keep in the Aramaic or the Greek, that word literally means to watch over, to guard, or to detain in custody. Other, other words, almost like put somebody in jail. Remember? Go back to what Jesus said right here. He says, while I was with them, I kept them. I what? I guarded them. Okay? But, but the idea of guarding them there is not like the Secret Service would guard the president. It's, the, it's almost like the idea you're in a cell. You're in a prison cell. Okay? So he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. In other words, guard them, detain them, keep them in custody. Uh, while I was with them, I guarded them. I detained them. I kept them in my custody. Um, and and I, just, I just think that is so cool. Uh, and I'll show you why here in just a second. So what are the disciples being kept and guarded from? Evil. Evil? Evil in what sense? Evil in what sense? Are they being guarded from being murdered? I don't think so. Because <laughs> every one of them are going to be murdered. Are they guarded from being cold and hungry and poor and suffering and sickness? Any of those things? Yes or no? No. no. They go through all those things. So what are they being guarded and kept from? Okay. Sell. They stay in his name. They stay in his name. Okay. Okay. Their soul. At the end of the day, that's exactly right. There, it's not anything to do with the outside. It's all to do with the, with the inside, with their soul. Okay. See, the fact is, what they're being guarded from is sin. He says, "Holy Father," and the reason he calls him holy, he's saying. You who are holy and separate from all evil, you, you, you're the one whose eyes are so pure that you can't even look upon sin. You guard them. You keep them. You, you detain them. You keep them from sin. That's all he's saying. Guard them against the evil of the world. For three years, Jesus has kept them and guarded them. And now he commits them to the care of the Father 
with the prayer that the Father will fulfill His will and guard them from the sin of a polluted, godless world. He does not pray that His disciples should be removed out of the world, that they might be protected from the rage of men, because they won't. Eventually, they're going to all be martyred. He does not pray that they'll be protected from pain and suffering. That's not what He's asking for. He prays that the Father would keep them from evil, from being corrupted by the power of the world and and the power of Satan. He's he's praying that they'll pass through the world like a man going through an enemy's country. Right? And and not take on the ways and the culture and the the attitudes of that particular country. He goes through like a... What is uh, the writer of Hebrews says? We're just sojourners. We're just visitors. We're just traveling through. It's not our home. That's what he's he's praying for. Go back and look at this again. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Guard them, which you have given me, so that, in order that, the purpose of, that they may be one. So he's saying, keep them from sin, so that they'll be what? Unified. Now here's my question. What does being kept from sin have to do with being unified? Okay, sin isolates. At the end of the day, think about it. It is sin that destroys unity in the body. And they all be on they're all on the same page. You get somebody off in their own self, what they want, what they think, what they need. Let me tell you, that destroys unity. You go back and find any situation that you've ever been involved with where unity was broken, I will guarantee you at the foundation of it is sin. There's just no way around it. You see, think about it. Unity is the cry of the New Testament. We are to be a body with every member caring for the other member, we are to love one another, serve one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, uh, have mercy on one another. We are to be in a composite collective unity. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Got excited there. Standing against the world in defense of the faith in a bond of love, right? But when any one believer gets sucked off into the world and begins to walk in sin, that unity is broken. That oneness is broken. You get friction. You get problems. You get discontented Christians. You get wrangling. And it all comes from sin. Somebody is not doing what the Word wants. They're doing what they want. And it breaks unity. Okay? So Jesus wants unity, but He wants a unity that's based on holiness. That's what I was saying earlier. We can unify with every other religion out there if you set aside holiness. But you, if you, he wants unity based on holiness. Just look at Israel as an example. God calls Israel out to be a witness in the world. And he doesn't say to them, Hey, Israel, I want you to be my witness, so just sneak around and be like everybody else. Does he do that? No. He goes out, he says, You're going to dress different. You're going to work different. You're going to eat different. You're going to marry different. You're going to plant different. You're going to worship different. You're going to cook different. You're going to, sac- you're going to do everything different. Right? And, and in other words, you're separated from the world. You are not like the world. And it, as long as Israel did that, they were fine. But every time they tried to fit in, what would happen? Disaster. I mean, go back and read it over and over and over again. Every time they tried to blend in, they'd start to intermarry, right? They'd get in with the culture. They'd worship. They wanted to worship God, but they'd have a few of them little idols in their house. Every time they tried to blend in, everything just went right down the tubes. Okay? But when they stood apart and they obeyed God, God would honor them and bless them. 
So when God chooses a people to be a testimony to Him, He wants them different, separated, and distinct, not blending in. So the, the church is called out of the world just like Israel was called to be a unique testimony. So you and I, our patterns, our behaviors, our lifestyles should be different than the world system. That's the basis of our, of our unity. By the way, what does the word holy mean? Anybody? It means set apart. Does it mean perfect? It means you are set apart. You are different. And that's what it means. You're not like the world. You're set apart. Uh, we are called to be a holy nation, a holy people, set apart in the world, but not of the world. Right? Okay, number two. He also prays for their joy. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Don't miss what he says. I'm saying these things out loud, right? I'm praying in front of them. Almost every time, other time I can tell, Jesus would go apart into the mountain or into the wilderness to pray to the Father. This time he prays right in front of them and he wants them to hear the words that he's saying. That's what he's saying. I'm saying these things, the things in this prayer, so that they'll have the joy I have. Now here's a question. What was the source of Jesus' joy? His love of God. His love of God. His relationship with the Father. That was his source. It wasn't his circumstances. We've talked about this over and over again. It wasn't, wasn't, you know, everything's going good today. I got joy. Everything's going bad tomorrow. No, his joy, his foundation of his joy is, is that he knows who the Father is. He knows the Father loves him no matter what comes. That's the source of his joy. Um, it's in, it lies in his relationship with the Father. Um, so he's saying this, Father, I'm praying out loud so that they'll know not only how much I love them, but that they're going to know that you're going to care for them. I want them to understand the love and the care of the Father, not just for me, but for them as well. Frankly, if you're a Christian and you're here today and you don't have joy, it's simply because you don't really understand how much the Father loves you. Let me say that again. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with joy, it's because you don't really understand how much the Father... Too many Christians go through life and it's all based on circumstances. Everything, boy, when, when the sickness comes, they lose their joy. You know, when trouble comes in the family, they lose their joy. And, and the reason is behind it, if you could really dig down, because there's a question in your mind, does he really love me? Am I right? Does he really love me? But see, if you know that you know that you know that you know that the Father loves you and He didn't call you to come out of the world. He called you to stay in the world and walk through the same things that everybody else walks through but to walk through them differently. To walk through them and give glory to Him as you do it. If you really understand that, it doesn't matter what comes. By the way, sure, you're going to have trials and things that break your heart. You're going to have things that grieve your spirit. That's, that's just life, Right? But you will never lose that constant abiding joy because that relationship never changes. That, that love never changes. By the way, I, I, and, I'll, and you'll see here why that is in, in just a second. You see, I don't care how much Bible I know. 
or, or what I understand doctrinally. I can be the greatest Bible teacher in the, in the world. If I don't really know that God loves me and care for, cares for me, I'll never walk in joy. <coughs> I don't care how much Bible you know. It's, it's got, it's, you've got to be, your joy is founded on knowing who He is and that He loves me no matter what. You see, joy always, sooner or later, comes back to the Father's care and the love of the, of the Son. So Jesus says, Father, I want them to know your love the way I do so that they'll share the same joy that I have. Now, he also prays for, number three, their protection. Look at verses 14 through 16. I've given your, them your word and the world, is word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you, there's that word again, what? Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. First, in John, later, uh, after Jesus is gone, many, many years later, John will write the, uh, the epistles, his letters to the churches. And in 1 John 5, 19, he says this, We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under control of Satan. He kind of puts it in, uh, John's a real black and white guy, right? We're of the world, I mean, we're of, of God, they're of Satan. I mean, we're of the truth, they are of the lies. I mean, he's real black and white. You see, we live in a world, whether you understand it or not, that, and, and by the way, God has allowed this to happen, that is under the control of Satan, right? But Jesus prays for the protection of the disciples that they will be kept from the evil one. Now, go back to that word kept, and this is why I love, I love this so much. This is how you're kept. He literally, I mean, think about it. That when you look at that, that's kind of an odd thing because the guy in the cell, you think of you don't have any freedom, right? You you don't really have a choice. That's exactly what he's saying. God is keeping you. He has put you in a he's put your soul in a cell, and he will not let anything get you. I mean, I love that. It's not like I mean, I I had a picture at one time of the Secret Service protecting Obama. And I thought, that's not the right picture because presidents get assassinated. Right? That's not a good picture. That's a much better picture. When, you're, when he's guarding you like that, there's nothing you can do. And listen, I don't want to do any. I don't want to play any part in it. I want him to protect me from the evil one. And that's exactly... Does everybody get what I'm trying to say there? That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm protecting your soul. And it's not about the body. It's not about the flesh. I am going to... I'm going to... I'm going to put you in a, in, a, in a proverbial cell and I'm going to guard your soul. I will not let the evil one get you. Even, even if you decide down there, he said, it, it, it just becomes, it's all about him, by the way. He's protecting us. He's guarding us from, from the evil one. Listen, he knows that down the road, his disciples are going to be steadily attacked. And he prays that God will guard them from the evil one. Again, we're not protected from suffering or pain or trials or tribulations. We're protected from the one that can steal our soul. That's who you're guarded from. That's who you're protected from. Look at what Jesus said in John 28, 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. What? Read that with me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You are completely protected from the evil one. Completely. Guarded. And Jesus said... Father, I did it for three years. I guarded them. Now it's your job. So the Father Himself, if you're a Christian, is guarding you. He's detaining your soul, so to speak. And nobody can get to you. You are completely protected. 
Lastly, he prays for their sanctification. Verses 17 through 19. He says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, that's the same way I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify, and I brought this up in the Greek glossary here, the, the, the word sanctify basically means make them holy, consecrate them. So when you see the word sanctify, holy, consecrate, they're all the same thing. So he's saying basically make them holy in the truth, right? Um, for their sake, I make myself holy. For their sake, I separated myself. Now separate them. Everybody with me? Sanctify, consecrate. Make, they're all the same word. It means to make holy, to be separated, to be different. Okay? Um, now here we come full circle. As we mentioned, we live in a world controlled by Satan and ruled by sin. You and I are to be different, set apart, holy, sanctified, consecrated in the world, but not of the world. And how are we to do that? How are we to do it? What is God going to use to make sure that happens? His Word. It's exactly the way. There's only one way to be holy. Only one way to be separated. Only one way to be sanctified. And that's through the truth. You see, Satan, it is Satan's world and he is the father of what? Lies. Therefore, the whole world system is built on lies. Truth separates us from the world. Truth makes you different. Truth sets you apart. And of course, where do you find the truth? Jesus says your word is truth. Holiness, separateness comes from the word of God. The tool that God uses to make us separated, to make us different, is this word right here, this word of God. That's why it's so important that you as a Christian and I as a Christian study the word of God on a daily basis so the word of God can constantly be purifying you, sanctifying you, separating you. If you don't, if you go through periods of not being in the Word, I will tell you what will happen. Anybody want to answer that for me? You'll start believing the lie. You will start believing the lie. You've got to stay in that Word, constantly see the truth. If you get away from it, there's just something in our nature, something in our humanness that just pulls us back toward that world. And we'll start believing lies again. That's why he says your word is truth. Your word sanctifies. Your word makes holy. So when you, um, again, when you stay away from the word of God, it is a disaster. Notice what Jesus is saying. You're not holy by going to church and just sitting there. Going to church once a week ain't going to make you holy. Um, you're not holy by getting emotional religious feelings. Okay? Um, sometimes singing songs can get you all emotional can get you excited. That ain't making you holy. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, you're, not, you're not holy by belonging to denomination or following some set of rules that somebody passed down to you. The only way you'll ever know holiness in your own life is to be in the Word of God so that it daily, constantly purifies you. David said this in Psalm 119, I've hid your Word in my heart, so what? That I might not sin against you. With the words not there, constantly purifying, cleansing, um, you, you'll fall right back into that believing the lie. Jesus says, "As you sent me into the world, so I send them." By the way, how did Father? How did the Father send Jesus in the world? He sent him in to be holy, didn't he? He sent him in to be separated. We are to be the same. 
Just as He sent the Father sent Jesus, Jesus said, I'm sending them. I'm sending them to be different, not like the, the world. And watch what He says here at the end. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. In other words, he's, for their sake, I make myself holy. I set myself apart to do Your will, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Hebrews 10.10 puts it this way. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are to be holy, but please don't ever forget this. We could never do that if Jesus hadn't accomplished the Father's will on the cross. In fact, He not only made it possible for me to be holy, He made it a foregone conclusion that I will be holy. We, we, we always have to remember the real holiness of all true Christians is the fruit of Christ's death. You're not holy because you follow rules. You get what I'm saying there? You're not holy because you read the Bible and follow the rules. You're holy because the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. You're holy because you've been called. You've been, you're holy because you've been adopted. You've been chosen. And all that was made possible by His death on the cross. So all holiness always goes back to Him and what He did. It's not about following rules or acting good, the ability to be holy, to be sanctified by the Word, was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 11, or 13, 12 says it this way, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. The fact that we are holy was bought and paid for through the, through the blood of Jesus. That's the basis of our holiness. That's the basis of our separateness. That's why we can't walk in unity with someone who doesn't believe that. Right? The basis of unity has to be Jesus Christ, His atoning blood on the cross. Any type of unity that sets that aside just so we can get along, that's not unity. That's not the unity that the Bible uh, talks about. Okay? Any comments, questions? Ron? Well, I guess just one thing. It's almost a, a catch-22. I agree with what 